Fearless Narrative is the podcast where we spotlight amazing female entrepreneurs and artists who are changing the world today. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to Fearless Narratives. I am your host, Cortland Jones, and today our guest is Gianna Blasco, a creative director and brand designer and the owner of the Brand Design Studio in Creative Co., where she creates thoughtful identities to help entrepreneurs tell their stories visually. (laughs) Hi, Gianna. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Cortland. Of course. Happy to talk to you. Um, so I saw your your notes already, but um, I want to hear about your background and I want to know, so you were saying how you've moved to New York City recently, which is my state. Happy to have you here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to, so apparently it wasn't an easy move for you and it wasn't what you, I guess, wanted at the time. So I want to know, know what led you to this, to this move, but I also want to know about your background before coming to New York City and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I guess I'll start with like the oldest background, which is I actually realized in college that I wanted a career in the creative world. I mean, as any young person in high school wants to go to art school, the parents are going to be like, I don't know if that's a good idea. So I wound up you know, lucky to be in college, but not doing what I wanted to do. And when I realized that there was an opportunity to work in the advertising world, I actually busted my butt and applied to transfer to a couple undergraduate programs that had um, advertising programs. So I went to the University of Miami in Florida. From there, I moved to Colorado to intern at an ad agency, and I eventually ended up, as a lot of us do, back in their uh, parents' house in the suburbs of Massachusetts without a job. So it wasn't until I got my first job at an ad agency that I relocated to Boston. Um, So naturally, I was quite comfortable there because it was a city I had grown up around and I knew and, you know, a lot of family in the New England area. So when it came time to move to New York, um, I was already running my business, so I could have been anywhere, but I just chose the comfort of Boston. And my boyfriend uh, decided that they wanted to go back to school for continuing education, and New York is where they were heading. So I hummed and hawed for a few months. Uh, (laughs) I just really liked having a car. That's yeah. all. My car. I didn't want to leave Boston because I liked having the car. So now I live in New York City. The subway. I don't, a, I don't have a car anymore. I ride the subway all the time. It truly is like the disgusting. best means oh. of transportation. Oh, it's disgusting. also disgusting sometimes. <laughs> okay. But it gets you everywhere. Um, yeah, I was hesitant to new- move to New York for I'm sure all the reasons other people are. It's a really expensive place to live. Um, you know, it's a difficult place to make new friends if you're not really sure like what communities you fit into. But I would say that my experience has been nothing but uh, otherworldly. I feel so welcome here. I think people are nicer here than they are in Boston. I don't know if we're going to get some hate for that, but New Yorkers, <laughs> I think you're friendlier than the Beantown people we have. Um, and it's an awesome be- place to be creative. I mean, you can't beat the culture and culture is what shifts and develops amazing art. So we have both those things in New York and I'm pumped to be here. Love it. 
to me, it's the best state, but obviously I'm biased because I'm, I'm born and raised here. It's, it's my hometown, my home, but, yeah. but it's funny to hear that it's, um, that we are nicer than Bostonians because I'm, I always hear the opposite. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, everyone has their own experience, but yeah, I just, I don't know. There is that magic about New York city, you know, whether you're strolling like uptown in the afternoon or you know going downtown on the weekends like everybody wants to be here so there is that sense of like camaraderie and like we know the city can get us down but like we're all in it together right for sure for sure (laughs) okay so after you said you um you quit your job from burnout is that is that correct Yeah, so I um, got my first job in advertising about nine months after graduation. Um, I worked full time at an ad agency and it's a crazy life working at an ad agency. This was also pre-COVID. So I think that's important to note, like work from home was not super widely accepted. Like if you weren't in the office, it's like, why aren't you here? And we worked really long hours. I mean, as any large company, there's multiple parties working on one account or one project. So the creatives are always kind of, at least in my opinion, the last people to get the information from the client because it has to be filtered through all sorts of people first. So there were days where we come into the office and you have meetings and things that you're working on, but sometimes my job really didn't start till like 4 p.m. And, you know, we'd stay in the office, all the junior creatives at eight o'clock dinner was on the company. So you'd, you know, actively and excitedly work till 8 p.m., order your green <laughs> salad uh, and then go back to work until like 10, maybe walk home, sometimes get emails from your creative director about questionable art comps you did or why isn't the deck ready at 12 a.m. And that was like pretty normal life for me um I do think things have changed a bit (laughs) but you had that uh atmosphere working in advertising especially when you're a junior of paying your dues right like that old outdated belief system that you need to burn out in order to prove something to people so I actually did work at the same agency um, from when I was a junior creative until I made a senior creative uh, level job. And then I quit to freelance. Um, I was burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I highly encourage the life of a freelancer because I'm, I'm doing it uh, myself, but it's not always easy, obviously. So we all, we all know that there has ups and downs and it's not always you know free fun and all that is you know it's kind of more stressful so how has your experience been as a freelancer yeah so I freelanced for probably like six to nine months before starting my own business but even when I had my own business I would take freelance jobs or hold contracts with different companies Uh, I think the best way to be a freelancer in my opinion and what worked out really well for me was getting to know a company I was super interested in and then committing to a longer term gig with them. So I've done gigs where I would show up to work for the company once every quarter. And I just kind of knew, and they kind of knew that I was the person they went to and it would happen, you know, four times a year. I did a gig like that for almost four years. I also did a long-term gig where 
I was uh, an art director, so I was assigned to a specific project that was a subscription style box. So they wanted someone to work on 12 boxes. So I kind of knew, okay, I'm going to be working for this company freelance, not all my time, but for at least a year. And I find that to be the best way not to experience burnout or to be biting your nails about that next business opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there are people that tell you like they like to put 45 fishing lines in the water (laughs) and they fish 20 at all times. And that just wasn't for me. Yeah. I think I, I've kind of done um, both ways. I've, I've tried yeah. out, yeah, but uh, I, th- I think it is more um, effective doing it your way because, yeah, like, as you said, it's having too many things out there causes more, I think, more op- more opportunities for burnout and for all that extra stress. Also, like, how many invoices do you really want to have to send at the end of the day? <laughs> yes, <laughs> very true. You were saying you come from a family of entrepreneurs. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's correct. Okay, but wait, first I want to touch on you were saying how your family wasn't crazy about you starting art school or being in art school. Um, so I want to go more into that. So I know for me personally, I I went to art school too. For um, I went you to went FIT to school, right? Yeah. Well, I went to FIT, but yeah, um, not for fashion design, but um, okay. Uh, that school I was only there for two years because. I wasn't able to do the whole four years because my mom got a new job and I, I lost my um, financial aid. I couldn't go to the next two years if I wanted to go, which I did want to go. So I'm really, I'm still mad at her for that. Even though years later, I'm still mad about her. I want to hear about your experience with, with your family and your art school uh, journey there. No, that that's a wound. That's a deep one. I, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> My family, if they're listening or ever listen, will deny till this day. They'll be like, we always encourage you to be creative. I think that's super true. My parents let me do some like weird stuff when I was in elementary school and high school. I was on like, I don't know if people will know what this is, but like destination imagination, like this is a real thing. It's also called Odyssey of the Mind. I don't know if it still exists. It was literally like a creative sports team. Like you would solve creative problems. You would put on like skits and plays. You would build stuff like out of cardboard boxes. It was sick, but it was also like very odd. Um, So I feel lucky for those experiences. But yeah, I mean, I definitely could have applied to go to a place like, you know, mass art, um, something like RISD. Obviously, I actually went on to do continuing education there, which I feel really lucky for uh, any any art school in the country. Why not throw an application in? But I just remember over and over again, one of my parents kind of saying, like, you can get a real degree and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> As if the real degree was already paid for in full or you know what I mean like yeah and I just I have that ingrained in my head so I went to school uh bio pre-med <laughs> oh wow yeah that didn't last very long Cortland, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um so obviously ended up making a pivot there was lucky to go to an undergraduate a program that had a portfolio program built into it. So that's something I think when a lot of people are deciding to go to school, like, and become creative in any 
way, shape or form. The question is, are you going to walk out of school with a portfolio or are you going to go have to work for someone else in order to get that work to put in your book so you can prove to other people, hey, I can actually do this. So I was really lucky that I got that undergrad because I know a lot of people end up going to graduate school or taking like studio oriented jobs to kind of pay their dues and get that book built. So I did walk out really equipped and I feel lucky for that because it definitely minimizes the amount of debt that you're in for sure. Yeah, definitely. I didn't, you know, so I, I did my um, undergrad so at FIT. So I have my, um my degree in that, but um I didn't, I had so like, I didn't have confidence in my abilities to be an artist because of that, because of, of not having the full graduate degree. And for me to be able to do creative work, I had to do a lot of um, interning at, at magazines or at any, any yeah. anywhere I could, yeah, to have, have my um, my book, as you were saying, um, built. So I did have the full like school training, but I had, well, I had like my whole, I was always art, artist major through everything I've done in school. But going into the real world, I felt like I, I couldn't do anything and I had to do interning and go to any job that, that would hire me as a undergrad, you know, the pressure of that was intense and I couldn't, I didn't have the confidence to, I didn't feel the confidence to be a designer probably until like, honestly, like three years ago. No, I, that makes a lot of sense. I think that you're not the only one. I think even people with a degree have that same confidence issue. And that's a symptom of the creative world. I mean, if you're applying for jobs and nobody's getting back to you, it's natural to feel that you're not good enough or you're interviewing for jobs, but they're also interviewing so-and-so's cousin and nepotism is going to win in that scenario. So you start to question your value as a creative, which is, I mean, so hard to put art out there. So hard to put the things that we love out there never mind like the skill that we're trying to be employed for I mean I totally understand that that feeling it's a tough one it is okay so going back to your family of entrepreneurs I want to know more about that but also how it how it um has impacted you being your own entrepreneur for your own company yeah so it's funny because growing up I never really like thought about being a business owner. And I think that's something that's kind of shifting a lot too, right? Like in high school, they never said to us like, go be an entrepreneur. I also went to a like very small school that had very limited, um, outside of the core curriculum, there wasn't like multiple art classes or multiple languages. It was like, oh, do you want to take Spanish or art? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I grew up with My um, mom and my dad actually had an Italian basket making company and my father's side also had an Italian deli in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, So there was a lot of entrepreneurial stuff going there. My mom eventually remarried to my stepdad who owned a funeral home. So I grew up around a funeral home, knowing a bunch of things about how to show up for people in tough times, but also learning how to run a business and kind of seeing the way my stepdad employed other people, contracted other people, um, managed, managed, excuse me, all sorts of different facets of that business. And it really wasn't until I went off on my own that I started to recognize and see kind of that 
entrepreneurial light in my own family and how maybe it was something I could have considered sooner in life. Yeah. You were saying too that um, in your opinion that entrepreneurship is overly glamorized. And I, I, I agree. Okay. I agree I'm with glad, you. I'm, I'm also, glad we're on the same page. Yeah. I think that um, we constantly don't talk enough about the like cons of it really. And I think that we should. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. If you want to dive into that. <laughs> I'd love to talk about it. I also definitely want to hear your take in more detail, but I think, you know, coming out of COVID, obviously there was a lot of free time for people that were working maybe for companies that were transitioning to remote work. Meanwhile, I was just running my business. So not a lot changed for me, except I wasn't really doing, you know, running around Boston, taking all these in-person meetings, which was a great transition in the long run. But I think during COVID, we definitely saw a rise of, you know, the entrepreneur on Instagram. And I feel like you see it a lot through different people trying to sell you different things about how to start your own business and how you can be in control. And obviously they're trying to sell you something. So I think that's the first thing to recognize. But at the end of the day, I think people don't realize how expensive it is to work for yourself. Like I can tell you my business costs between 20 and $30,000 to run every year. That is health insurance. That is QuickBooks. That's creative software. That is a thousand to four thousand dollars set aside in case a computer crashes which has happened to me multiple times that's having to buy new hardware that's marketing expenses i mean honestly health insurance is like the, really the big one but so i think when people look at us and they say oh you're a freelancer or oh you're a business owner they don't recognize that maybe not every business is that expensive to run maybe you can do it for a different price depending where you are in your career but I essentially write a $30,000 check every year just to let myself work for myself and I don't see that money yeah (laughs) not only are there a lot of costs to starting a business and to running a business successfully but it goes so much further than that it's do you want to be a creative Or do you want to be a creative and wear all these other hats that running a business requires? And I happen to love it. I happen to be really into it. I've had my moments where I've said, I really wish someone was writing me a biweekly paycheck and I got to go to work and someone told me what to make and I made it and I got to go home. Um, I think the grass is always greener, but yeah, I feel when people start to glamorize, you can just be an entrepreneur and it's freedom and the money you can make is unlimited. Like, I don't think those are true facts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not. I think it, it obviously takes a lot of time and effort to get like to a point where you can feel sort of stable again. And I've been in this thing now for like a year and a half, but it wasn't a path that I really chose it's just kind of like well, I, I did but it wasn't like a path that I had a plan for I just kind of fell into being an entrepreneur because of what I had experienced in corporate as a designer and, and as a freelancer and my company launching happened at a time when I was not wanting to be a freelancer anymore because of the the platforms out there today that like Fiverr in them and how they are actually yeah. you know causing more issues for like how they actually taking more of our money which is my biggest reason why I, I didn't want to do that 
So right. with, with my, my my platform, it's, you know, it's opposite of that. It's the goal is to really empower creatives and have them keep their money because it's their money. It's our money. But building the platform <laughs> has been a lot of money for one thing, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I'm working more hours and more days and just not having much rest. But and then even after all of that, I'm still having a hard time starting because of back in issues like with um the technology behind it it takes longer than I think it I thought it would and all of that fresh so and then the thing that I already have a community built so like I have people excited for this and wanting it and I'm like great but it's taking so much longer that I'm like oh my god I feel like I'm letting everyone down and just like that pressure and then there's no money because I'm over here like not not paying you know myself but I pay my all of the money into the company and I'm like I'm yeah I'm crying every day it's hard (laughs) no isn't that a crazy decision where there's money in your company but you have to give it to someone else Mm -hmm. besides yourself or you have to keep that minimum amount in that business bank account at all times because you don't know what's going to happen or you know you need to pay an accountant or you know you have xyz coming up but you could really use a paycheck. Like I have totally had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like what you're doing is also so there's this like double faceted layer to it, which is like, you're doing it so people can have more connection and more community. And at the end of the day, I just really hope that the people around you are like lifting you up and like, you know that you're making something that's going to be so special to so many people. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. No, thank, <laughs> you for, thank you for building the platform. <laughs> okay. So back to you and your work. Okay. So you said that mindfulness is an important passion of yours and it's a cornerstone of your business, right? And of your life. And I saw your design. So how I, I met you was from um, seeing your logo design for Sarah White Yogi that I just had her on the show a few weeks ago yeah. and it's beautiful by the way I like, love the whole design I think it's just like it's just so good Thank um <laughs> so I want to know more about how you got into what is your design style like are you feeling like you incorporate mindfulness into your design um your designs I guess your designs in general yeah I feel like there's two answers to this question and one is like if we just take a step back and think about like design and like how design came to be, like what is design based on? It's based on shapes and layouts that feel pleasing to the human eye. And when you see something pleasing, like I obviously want to pull something off the wall right now, but this is a podcast. (laughs) You You look at it, you take a moment to look at it and you take a moment to be present. So the first part of that answer is just kind of coming from, if you choose to be a designer, if you choose to go down an artistic route, you're not only choosing to express yourself, but you're also trying to put something out in the world that makes other people stop, look, maybe listen, whatever it is, take that pause, take that breath. So I think it's natural that I incorporate that into my work. I feel like when I'm working on a new client, the first thing that I'll do after putting together some sort of strategy is I will, I'll meditate on it and I'll see like what pops up into my brain. I'm super visual. And sometimes I get sketches and ideas that 
end up being the end product. And sometimes that happens after I try to write down 40 ideas first, 40 concepts for a logo, and then I stop and then I'm sitting there kind of chilling out, taking the pressure off. And I'm like, oh, that seems like a super simple solution. So not only do I use it as a creative strategy, but mindfulness is just important to me as a human. You know, we all come from different backgrounds, different life experiences and certain things that shaped me into the person I am today required me to take a step back and to learn how to manage my emotions and manage how I show up in the world. If I, if I was going to be happy, you know, if I was not going to be overrun by anxiety or burden of taking care of someone else and things like that, I, yeah, I've been on the mindfulness journey for a little longer than I've been a business owner. So probably like two extra years. And it's so funny what happens when you stick with it. Like I've been doing it for about six years and I feel like it's transformed my life in so many different ways, but it was actually this past year that I found sitting with myself to be so much more rewarding than it had been every other time I sat down. And I feel really, really lucky for that. And it's, you know, available to everyone. Of course, it takes a little bit of um, diligence and dedication, but everybody gets to kind of sit down and just take a deep breath and close their eyes and make space for themselves. And that can really shape the way you show up for yourself and shape the way you show up for clients if that's who you choose to show up for. Definitely. I, I love that. Uh, I was telling Sarah actually on the show and, and um, off the show that her class has really helped me with my mindfulness practices and, and doing her, her, um, her yoga and, and having more of that has calmed me down. And my ideas have been flowing more because of that. I have more like clarity now and more peace amongst what I'm doing. And even my ideas come in my dreams now, actually. So like, I'll be like totally stagnant all day long and not and, like stuck for an idea. And then I always come, come to like two in the morning or four in the morning, but I'm like, okay, can you come with like a normal hour where I'm actually awake? But the yeah, idea is I call, slow. I call that the witching hour. <laughs> yeah, it really like, is. Oh, the witching hour. <laughs> Stuff's just coming through me. Um, no, and I also think building off what you said, you'd mentioned, okay, sometimes I'm on myself all day for an idea. As creatives and as people train to literally make things on a computer, so I'm specifically talking to the graphic designers, the illustrators of the world, the art directors, what happens when you're not staring at the screen? Like, you got to step away, like put pen to paper, take out the pencil. It doesn't have to be an iPad. It doesn't have to be a MacBook. Like, I find the best ideas come to me when I'm using a scrap piece of paper and like sharpening my pencil and sketching something out. I think the computer screen is stimulating to us in different ways that sometimes prevents that like mindfulness and creativity from flowing through, but also it's just an added pressure. It's like you're performing for yourself, right? When you're staring at the screen and you open a new canvas, it's like, oh, gotta make something. Mm -hmm. Gotta make something right now. Definitely. I started originally in um, fine arts and I've always done, you know, pen to paper or like charcoal or painting, whatever. And I felt more free with that than I did when I was doing like, like brand design in school. And even at, at FIP, I was like one drawing in my notebook because one, I, I was the only one who um 
commute it and I had to carry that that heavy you know Mac and I'm like I'm not doing that so I'm just gonna endure my book but I had more ideas flowing in my notebooks than I did when I was at the computer it makes a difference I think I totally agree with you I think I think there's just an inherent truth to that if you go on Instagram and that's where you get all your inspiration from your designs are going to look like other people's designs. Exactly. If you go into the real world and take pictures of things you see and sketch out things that you are inspired by and you go to an antique store or a thrift market and actually start to pick up on things from different generations, things from times that no longer seem relevant, everything that comes out of you as a designer is going to seem more authentic and original and I do think there's so much pressure to like look like everyone else as a designer. And that, mm-hmm. that bums me out. Whenever people ask me for advice, I, that's always my first thing. I'm like, if you're sitting on social media and I said Instagram, but TikTok staring at how other people do things all day, you're not going to be able to be true to yourself. Yeah. And I feel like that also ties into being an entrepreneur. If you are constantly trying to like Go, go after your um your competition instead of building your own vision, your own values. You're kind of copying their stuff and trying to like outdo them as opposed to like building your own thing, you know? And like, that's what I'm always trying to avoid. So like, I constantly, I, I hate Fiverr, no offense. I just hate Fiverr, but like, I, I always try to avoid all that and like not even try to like be anywhere near them or like like compare my my site to, to their company. But there's so many other, like so many outsiders out there who are telling me like oh but isn't um like oh is it Upwork doing this or isn't Fiverr doing this and I'm like I don't care what they're doing I'm doing what I want to do for me and I feel like it's the same for creatives like if we are constantly seeing what others are doing or copying their work it's not as genuine and it's just like it's not as good it's just the same thing over and over again yeah and I I just don't think that anyone would stick with something that long if it's not what they truly want to do right Mm -hmm. if you're constantly playing this game of what I'll just say like the keeping up with the Joneses mentality well I have to do this everyone's trying out reels or everyone's using um funky sans serifs whatever like no just do the thing that you want to do that like voice that feels clear and true and I think eventually like all good things to come, of course, you know, step into your network, step into your mentors, like let there be a sounding board, but don't live in like that comparison trap. Definitely. Okay. So that actually ties into my, my next question, which is where, where do you find your, your inspiration to create? Yeah. So I feel like we definitely touched upon this briefly, but I feel like my answer is pretty straightforward within and without. So within tapping into that meditation, mindfulness, you know, sketching, obviously this all comes after listening to my client's story and feeling like I want to bring something to life. But secondly, like without getting outside, walking around, noticing how lettering is used on signs, going to local businesses, noticing how they use their graphic materials, whether it's windows, menus, et cetera, going to museums, galleries, just seeing what other people are putting out into the world and how things come to life. And 
I really think you can find inspiration in the silliest places. Yeah, definitely. And those are probably like the best ones too. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know what is your ideal client? Oh, I really <laughs> dream clients right now are a non-alcoholic beverage brand. I would <laughs> really like to work on that as like a consumer packaged good and a storefront would be like a modern apothecary, like someone doing herbal medicine or earth medicine. Interesting. Like it. And then I guess I'll elaborate, which as much as those are like dreams of things I want to design in general, I feel like the ideal client is just someone that has a lot of shared values with me. Like they don't like to burn out or they value their weekend time so they know to respect my weekend time things like that like shared mindset mm -hmm. good answer so what has been the best project that you have um worked on so far oh that's a tough question you brought up i'll bring up two Sarah White, the coastal yogi, um, Sarah's just an amazing and genuine person to yes. work with. I can't say enough good things about her demeanor, the way she treats me as a designer, the way I see her treat other people. I think she's an authentic person. I think she shows up as her full self. Um, and I also really admire the work we created together. That to this day, my boyfriend will call out that that was one specific project where I was actually hand lettering a portion of the asset and I am not a hand letterer it's not like a super strength of mine and I sat and I did it and I did it and I did it again and again and again so that was really cool and then last year as I kind of stepped into being I feel like a little bit more established I got to design a brand for a luxury bed and breakfast up in Vermont and working with the owners, Chad and Ross and their brand, the Brattleboro, I've gotten just a lot of positive feedback. I have had a lot of people see it that have kind of looked at me and said, oh, like you did this, this is what you do. And I think having that reaction from someone, it, it means a lot to me. And I also think my relationships with both the aforementioned clients um, also mean a lot to me. So always feels good to put something out that you're proud of and also have people that cheer you on who are a part of the project. Definitely. So have you had any bad clients? And if so, how did you handle them? I feel like the word bad clients is a tough one. I know how sometimes people say there are no bad dogs. They're just yes. bad owners. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do like with where I started in my career. Yeah, we can call them, label them as bad clients. Of course I had them, but I also didn't have a super clear cut process. So if you show up into the world taking on clients and you don't have an extremely clear way to get from A, that first phone call, to B, whatever they've requested from you, they're going to misbehave. They're going to ask questions and send you too many emails. And if they have your phone number, forget about it. But <laughs> it's also about how you show up in return, right? Like I definitely 
felt I'm thinking of like so many specific examples, but obviously we're not going to like dox anyone on this podcast Yeah, <laughs> um, where I just let people mistreat me over and over again. And then I would complain about it. And it really took me, I'm just going to say it like going to therapy and learning how to set boundaries and learning how to run a healthy business relationship to not only prevent myself from letting those people in. Cause I think sometimes there are red flags. I don't know if you feel this way, Cortland, but when you start emailing with someone and they might come to you and say, I need it immediately. And it's like, hello, what is your name? Are you? <laughs> like, that's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> or, Hey, what is your budget? Oh, I don't have one. I have no idea what this would cost. And mm. I respect that to a certain extent, but we all have Google. We mm -hmm. can all figure out, Hey, okay. I think a project might cost this. What am I really willing to invest? So starting to look out for those red flags of people that you might need to get paid, but you might also really not want to work with them and mm -hmm. kind of determining where your threshold is. Yeah, that's um, an excellent point. I'm always talking to creators about knowing our worth and how we most of the time we let our clients pay us less than our actual worth because we don't know how to price it correctly yes. and because, because they don't know either. So they just like take whatever we offer them no matter what. And it's like, we have to all get, get better at knowing our worth and pricing it better to give clients the idea of our actual value. There's so many things to take into consideration. Um, you know, there's obviously so many ways to price. You can go hourly, you can go flat rate, you can go flat rate, but then start digging into values-based pricing. I think it's super important to read about it all and to also really take a step back and think about, yes, being a freelancer or yes, running a business is a choice, but at the end of the day, that client is not paying for your health insurance. They're not paying for your 401k. And we need to build our prices to represent all the things that we need to do as entrepreneurs to take care of ourselves. So it's not just, oh, I think I'm worth this much per hour. It's okay. In addition to that, how much does it cost me to run the business? How much do I need to sustain this life? Yes. Amen. Well said. I will say one shout out on that note is something I recommend to like everyone that comes to me who's thinking about jumping into freelance or starting a design business, copywriting business is the book Freelance Business and Stuff. Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's by Amy and Jen Hood. I thought I had it right here. If so, I would show you it. Um, oh, actually, it is right here. It's a red book cover, and it's by the sisters who own Hood Spa Design. So mm -hmm. Freelance Business and Stuff by Amy and Jennifer Hood. I picked it up six months after I quit my first job. I wish I had read it sooner and it is so, so valuable. So I highly recommend it to anyone thinking about going off on their own. Thank you for that. What are some ways that you find most effective in attracting new clients? I will say for me personally, word of mouth has been huge. My business has run pretty seamlessly for three and a half years off word of mouth. 
it actually wasn't until I started experiencing the economic downturn. I would say that that actually hit my business mid-summer, I'd say July, August. I was pretty aware that leads were not coming in as quickly as they used to. Um, people were more hesitant to commit towards things to spend money. So in addition to word of mouth, when that you know pool starts to drain, look at your network. That was the first thing I did. Literally contact anyone you know who could have a job for you or could know someone that has a job for you. I feel like I spent a week or two kind of like turning my wheels like, man, like business isn't coming through as quickly as I would like. I'm going to be at peace with this and kind of chill out a little, but like, what's going to happen next? How is it going to happen? And it literally took me a hot moment to think like, I worked at an ad agency. I freelanced for at least 15 different companies. Like, have I reached out to any of these people and let them know that I'm looking for work? No. So why don't I start doing that? And you start doing it and yeah, doesn't always come right away, but that was something I was working on in November and December. And I'm still getting people following up with me that are saying, Hey, I remember you were needing new business. I have this client for you. Let me put them in contact. So just look at your network, look at your network, and also make sure that whoever you're doing work for, you're treating with respect, you're making the best product you can, because you know they're going to go off and say good things about you. Everybody needs design help, copywriting help, all sorts of freelance help. Um, so those are my my top two. What are Do you have one? I'm just curious. Um, I think I would say word of mouth too, actually, because I've never actually have gone out to find clients. They always come to me. So... Um, that incredible yeah it's really cool <laughs> that's super special do you have any mentors that have inspired you or helped you throughout your career yeah so I'll break the mentorship down into two categories there are designers I look up to that do not physically mentor me nor have any relationship with me but you guys are the bomb.com <laughs> uh Aaron Draplin amazing American graphic designer Amy and Jen Hood of Hood Spa, who I mentioned, wrote that book. And I think the guys that are based out of Austin who run Land, L-A-N-D, I think all their work's incredible. I'm sure the list could go on and on, but those are three people I reference. I keep Aaron Droplin's desk, uh, book on my desk at all times. Amy and Jen Hood constantly looking out for what they did do and land. I think they demonstrate their work in such creative ways. Um, I also have like a slew of mentors and I'm always looking for new mentors. I will say that it's everything from old creative directors to fellow entrepreneurs. Actually, now that I'm saying this, just this morning, I had an amazing call with a previous client who has worked in sales for 30 years. I mentioned some things when we were catching up earlier this year that weren't going super well in my business. And she was like, let me give you an hour of my time. Like I'm a sales expert. Let me tell you oh. about this. And taking a step back and kind of realizing like all those people are mentors and it takes a lot of different types of tools in your toolbox to run the business. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What has been the best moment of your career so far? And if it hasn't happened yet, what is your ideal moment that you are trying to achieve in your career? 
Yeah, I, I'll give you two answers then. I'd say one of the best moments in my career so far was literally kind of what you had just spoke about, like realizing that you have a business that runs on pure word of mouth and you were doing such great work and keeping so many people happy. Like just the moment where that clicked for me, I'd say like two and a half years into running my business, that was super special. And I think the moment I'm most looking forward to because I started my business at such a different place in my life is that I'm currently rebranding the business and renaming the business. I've been talking about it for six or seven months, but I've really been putting the work in the past six weeks and I can't wait to launch it and put something out there that feels more aligned with who I am as a person. Oh, I'm excited for you. I love that. I'm excited to show you. <laughs> We're at the end of the show now, but I want to ask you before we leave, um, where do you envision your career to be in, let's say a year from now? Okay. A year from now, I hope I'm still living in New York. Shout Yay! out to New York City. <laughs> um, I also hope that I'm running my business, hopefully from more of a point of freedom, uh, freedom to dedicate the time I need to, to my work, but also focus on other creative projects. I'm sure you relate to that. When you happen to have a creative job as your job, sometimes the notebooks and the sketchbooks and the 40 Prisma mark, Prisma colored markers, they get a little dusty over there. So I really hope to pick up that stuff more uh, a year from now and make more space in my life for it. Good answer. I personally miss actually drawing for fun. I haven't drawn for fun in a long time. It's mostly just company stuff and just business stuff. And I'm just, I miss the passion that I had for just like drawing for no reason. You know, like that yeah. was a good, good times. <laughs> I literally this winter, cause my niece is super artistic. She's 11. We, she happens to have an iPad. She's a very lucky girl. So she doesn't have a cell phone, but I can iMessage her. Mm -hmm. So I'll like sit down with my markers and I'll just make something knowing that no one's going to see it and no one's going to judge it. And then I send it to her and she's always like, wow, you're the best. And I'm like, oh my God, I am the best. I love myself. Like the childlike energy that has this different way of looking at art and creating. I feel like that really keeps me in check. Yeah, I used to draw in my bed alone for like hours and hours and hours. And it was just a magical time. And I didn't care who saw it. It was just for me. And it was just like the yeah. best moment. Okay. And in the show, where can our audience find you and find your artwork? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at InCreativeCo. I'm not super active on Instagram. That's a goal for forever, but I do check in. And then you can also find me at hello at incc.design. Thank you, Jana. It's been so fun talking to you. I'm like crying from all the laughter, but also crying from like the nostalgia of me thinking about my art passion. So thank you for your inspiration and your amazing story. Thank you for having me, Cortland. I'm so excited to see the database relaunch and get yes. itself out there. And also I'm excited for your brand new podcast. So I really appreciate you hosting. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and that is a wrap. Fearless Narratives airs every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and we will see you next week.